I posted on Facebook this week how I love alliteration. Alliteration. You know what alliteration is? You know, when everything begins with the same letter, a bunch of words with the same letter. I think it's a great teaching tool. It helps people remember. You know, like Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. You know, like we know that thing. You know, like they use it in commercials. They use it in advertising. And sometimes, actually, without trying, I think in alliteration. I think in alliteration. Oh, and before I go on, I want to say this. My, our preaching team is incredible. That was John. If you're visiting here, you don't know him. He's on our preaching team. You'll hear him the next few weeks probably. Sabata, that was a beautiful message. Come down, Zacchaeus, last week. Beautiful message. Beautiful. Cammie started us off a few weeks back with agreement, really. I, I can't even remember the title, but it was about agreement. Because my husband used to preach every Sunday, and I would preach on Wednesday nights. But now it's taken like six of us to replace him. It was a beautiful message. And then Alan brought it even deeper. And then John took off from there. And, and so I love our preaching team. We believe in fivefold ministry. We believe that's a New Testament pattern. And years ago, when we founded the church, Easy said, you know, we're not going to try to hire uh, an, an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, or he be the apostle. And we hire. He goes, we're going to grow a church. We're going to grow them. And so people have been here for years. and They've grown up. We've identified giftings. And we operate as a team. And we believe in team ministry here. And so if you don't like my sermon today, just come back next week. Somebody else will be preaching, like Kirk says. But um, I do love alliteration. I believe it's a good teaching tool. And over the years, I've used alliteration in several of our slogans for the church. And Generation Jesus is the ministry that we still have, but that was very operative and active uh, many years ago. And we had actually a revival movement among young people here in this area for about, what, three and a half, four years, Kirk? Kirk and Angie were here at the very beginning. So was Cammy. Chris was here back then. We had several people that are still with us that started in that. And we did stadium events. We had 4,500, 5,000 people at Mercer Stadium a couple of times. Literally thousands of young people's lives were changed. And I had a standard, I called it. And the standard for our Generation Jesus leaders was saved, spirit-filled, servant-hearted, submissive, sanctified, sold out, selfless, and a soldier mentality. And I can preach about an hour and a half on every one of those things, but we used alliteration. And so after that revival, actually, uh, time passed, it was prophesied to us that a second revival would be coming a second wave of young people, and that the second wave would be greater than the first. We were prophesied several times by very credible people. Dale Gentry was one of them back there. They're good friends of Dale on the back row. And, and um, he said, this is, a, this is not over. You're going to have more stadium events. In the middle 2000s, he goes, there's more stadium events coming. There's going to be a second wave, and the second wave will be greater than the first, and the latter rain will be greater than the former. And so some of you in this room are part of the second wave. And when Dan and Alicia came, we said the second wave is coming, but the wave was sort of slow in coming. But sometimes God, after a long wait, does things suddenly. And so the second wave is here. But in the meantime, in the middle of the two waves, one of the great joys of my life was going to Bogota, Colombia, and training a group of young people there to minister on the streets for Jesus, to cast out demons, to get people healed, to preach on the streets. And I don't speak Spanish. And the language of Bogota, Colombia is Spanish. And so I was in Bogota, Colombia. I worked with one church and a pastor's son and then people from many churches. One time I spoke to all the pastors in several of the churches on emotional healing. Can you imagine that? Even pastors need to be emotionally healed. Even pastors have hurts and wounds that God wants to get out of their heart so that they can minister more effectively. Even pastors in ministry are getting hurt daily, and God needs to teach them how to get that out of them so that they don't carry that wound with them as they minister to people. And so I digress, but in 2009, 10, 11, and 12, 
I went back and forth to Bogota. Like people take weekend trips, I went to Bogota. Over a week, it's a four-hour flight. And I would train up young people on the streets, and sometimes we'd have to hurry up and get out because they go, the cartel is coming. Get out. Get that ring off your finger. They'll cut your hand off if they see it. And so I didn't even know I was in danger. John, John got me there. John opened a door to Bogota for me to go there. And so I trained up these young people but because of the language barrier and then also the culture difference. I needed the help of an interpreter. When you go to a foreign country and you preach, you get an interpreter. And so the people, though, it was interesting to me, even though there were words in the culture that I had to learn I couldn't use. You know, if you're in Bogota and you preach and you go, well, you know, when you're looking at your lawn, you don't say lawn. They don't have a lawn. They live in high rises. It's a rocky soil. There's a lot of rocks if they even have what we would call a yard. If you talk about a yard, they don't know what you're talking about. There are certain words that just don't compute, okay? And you have to be aware of not just language but culture. But yet, people who knew no English... I would just start talking, they go, we knew what you were saying before they even translated. We could feel your heart. And so there are some things that transcend language that people can feel, they can feel what's in your heart when you're talking. And I guess I'm a little bit passionate because I'm Italian and I talk with my hands and my eyes and all parts of me. And so they would get it and they would start crying before the translation came. Now, here in the US, right here in Sugarland, I found that I also, on occasion, have needed an interpreter over the years. Because I remember in 2001, I was working late in the church office and Roger, Roger Rohagi, uh, was working in our office and he was one of the original GJ team members and he was probably 21, 22 at the time. And he was working there late with me and I was like a mother to him. And I had take, we'd taken off our shoes, you know, we were working late, we were tired and so our shoes were over in the corner and then it was time to go and I go, before I left, Dan, put that photo up for me, the, the first one of the little sandal. I go, Roger, go get my thongs for me. And he goes, don't say that. And I go, what do you mean? I go, go get my thongs, I need to drive home. He goes, don't say that. He said it louder, and I go, what, what is wrong with you? And he goes, don't say that, you can't call him that. And I go, why? He goes, people call them flip-flops now. And I go, uh-oh, when did it change? And so he sweetly explained to me what the new meaning of the word that I called my rubber one, you know, sandal thing really meant. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. And so at that moment, I felt sort of like my mother because she went to Macy's once and the salesperson asked her how she would like to pay for her purchase. And she said, I'll give you my plate. And the girl looked at her like, what? She goes, I'll give you my plate. And she goes, here's my plate. And she pulled out her credit card. Dan, put it up there. And so in the old days, the, the, the thing you call your credit card, the precursor to the credit card was called a charger plate. And it was a metal thing. And it had raised lettering. And they would put it in this, put my imprinter up there. See, today you're going to learn some things. They would put it in that thing. <laughs> and then they go, and then the, the lettering would come out on carbon, all right? And they would have to fill out part of it with a pen and you'd get your receipt. And we have people knowingly shaking their heads. Now we know they're over 60. All right, you just, you just gave your age away right there, boom. Okay, and, and so we have words that have changed what they mean over the years. So when my mom is saying plate, the girl is looking at her like, I don't need a dish. And my mom is thinking, wait, this is a credit card. I mean, this is my charge plate, but the girl calls it a credit card, but nobody told my mom. And so words can change over the years. 
So I used to use Alan as an interpreter, but now he's 47 and he's not as much help anymore. <laughs> and he's on his honeymoon. So I get to say that next week, we'll just edit that out. All right. And, and so I really needed someone younger, like under 30. So I asked Alicia stuff now, okay? Oh, Aiden just volunteered. Alicia, you might get knocked out of a job. Aiden, how old are you, Aiden? Ooh, good age, good age. Okay, for what I need to know, good age. And um, so actually last week, you know, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. You know something, but you don't know the part you don't know, okay? Remember that in ministry. But anyway, so last week I said I had seen on Facebook or something Alicia showed me. Where did I see it? Instagram, because I'm not on Instagram. One time I got on and Alan goes, get off. Get off now. I cannot handle this for you. Get off now. He didn't want one more thing to explain to me. And so I saw Dion on Instagram, okay, saying some awesome motivational stuff in a real cool voice, you know, with, with music behind it. And, and I asked Alicia what it was called, and then I forgot what it was called. So Sunday I asked Dion, what is it called? And he said, it's a reel. And so at announcements, I confidently said, you know, I learned a new word today, real. And his, his reels are real. And, and so I'm saying a few things, and I felt all cool. And Amy, the next day, Amy, wave your hand back there. She goes, let me send you my reel. And so she sent her reel. And I go, I can't hear the music. And I'm like, I called Alicia, I go, I can't hear the music on this one. And then I get with Amy, and Amy goes, there is no music. And I go, but wait, on Dion's, the reel said stuff, and it had music, and that's what I thought a reel was, and I'm, I'm getting real confused. And Alicia said, no, no, let me fix it, let me fix it for you. Next time, maybe Aiden, you'll fix it. But Alicia said, no, 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 no. She goes, maybe Dion called it a reel, but what we call it, what I told you it was, was the spoken word. You've heard that? Is that even a word you use? No. See, he does it, and he doesn't even call it that. So words change constantly. And so Amy's is a real, Alicia said, correct me if I'm wrong, on, on what? Facebook or Instagram? And then it's a video on Facebook. I mean, every venue you go to, every social app you go to, you got to know a different word. It's a lot. I mean, it's a lot, okay? So I, I appreciate all you who could figure this all out. And, um, and so I'm realizing that then I tell Alicia, well, it's sort of like a snippet. And she looked at me, and I don't think anyone over 40 has ever said the word snippet, right? But Etsy, I was looking on Etsy this morning, and it said snippet. So I felt very, yes, I felt validated. And so, <laughs> and then accidentally, Vic, I'm, I'm just so sorry, because I told Vic, how old are you, Vic? 25. You know, there was some music, and Vic is sort of, you know, and I go, wow, you have some smooth moves. And right when I walked away, I thought, oh, that's the name of the laxative tea. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, you may not know that, Vic. And like, like, there's a generation gap sometimes in the room, but Jesus can fill every gap. He can fill every gap. I feel ageless in this room. I feel ageless in this room. And I, from the youngest to the greatest, God has something for you. And so in spite of everything I just said, I'm here to tell you that whether you're nine or you're 90, we got 90. We got nine over there. Whether you're nine or you're 90, no matter your cultural background, no matter your native tongue, no matter your generational slang, no matter how much language changes, no matter the specific terms that come in or out of style, the word of God remains the same. We can all agree on it. We can stand on it. It doesn't change. It doesn't change. Words. 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 
God spoke his word and the world came into being. God spoke his word. Jesus spoke a word and the man was healed. A word, a word matters. But God's word is unchanging in every generation and it never, ever fails. And there's a unity in the spirit that cannot be defeated when we come into agreement. Now, that's agreement with God's word and then agreement with one another. And sometimes we actually are all saying the same thing, but it's a semantics problem because we just use different words to say it. And so I want to go to Daniel. You don't have to put it up there, Dan. And one of the scriptures in Daniel, the, the last half of one scripture says, the people who know their God shall be strong, shall be strong. See, out of weakness, we come to God just like we are. And there are weak areas in our life, but out of weakness... He can make us strong, the Bible says. That's what Hebrews says. Out of weakness, the heroes of the faith were made strong. The people who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. Exploits. Marvelous things. When Easy first came to the Lord, he didn't know that he'd go into a leper colony in India and pray for someone, the only white man who ever went into a leper colony in India, and pray for people. And I go, I don't want you to get leprosy. He was, like, he's like, no, 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 I'm going there to bring healing. He didn't know that he'd lay hands on a blind man and the blind man would see. See, exploits. I was with him when a woman got out of a wheelchair who couldn't walk and ran around the Coliseum. Exploits. You can do exploits for God. Kirk, I remember when all the guys in your group, they, they go, we're just going to do exploits down at Walmart parking lot. And they would pick certain Friday nights and they'd go down to Walmart parking lot, park near the handicap section once they knew that the word of God says that healing was for today. And they'd wait till people walked up through a car and go, hello, would you like us to pray for you? We believe in healing. And they brought back crutches to the church. And they brought back little uh, braces to the church and said, the person doesn't need them anymore. They got healed in the Walmart parking lot. So the Bible says, people who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. Understand what? Well, we got to understand that God is who he says he is. we got to understand that he will do what he said he will do. We've got to understand that his power and his love are for every generation, and we are not disqualified. We've got to understand that there's no doubt that he is turning the hearts of people toward him right now, and that we are on the precipice of a very great harvest. And so we've got to be ready, because we are his tools and his implements in the harvest. But if you don't understand some things, you'll be defeated. You'll be defeated. So today, my love of alliteration is going to deal with some D words. D words. See if you can find them as we go. Because the title of my message is, Don't Be Dumb. Don't be dumb. Can you say that in church? Yes, I just said it. Don't be dumb. Now, it's a takeoff of a certain scripture. I'll give you that in a minute. But we're going to talk a little bit about damage. We're going to talk a little bit about determination. We're going to talk a little bit about discipline and a little bit about deciding. See, sometimes we just got to decide. And so whether you want to think so or not, and whether you like it or not, the truth is every day of your life, there is warfare going on. You have an adversary. You have an enemy. He goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may de devour. There's D words all through here. Seeking whom he may Seeking whom he may. You don't have to let him, but sometimes you do let him. And so the Bible states that he seeks, you know, who can he can devour. And you might think, wait, 
But I read a scripture. I got to, I know somebody, I said something the other day, and they looked at me, and I go, wait, have you gotten to the book of Acts yet? And they go, not yet. I go, okay, that's why you don't understand this. You haven't gotten there yet. We get it. It takes a little time. But the Bible also says in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is within me than he that's in the world. That is also true. They're both true. So you've got to learn that truth is like a, a coin with two sides. There's a flip side. This is true, but that could be true at the same time. And then you've got to be in the balance of them, and God gives you wisdom on which truth is operating at that particular moment. And so it also says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should take advantage of you, we are not to be ignorant, ignorant of his devices. Therefore, my title, don't be dumb. All right? We are not to be ignorant, period. Does anybody put a premium on ignorance in the room? <laughs> like, God does not put a premium on foolishness. He doesn't put a premium on ignorance. He's not against learning. He's not against higher education. He's not against enhancing our skill level. Uh, when we are born again, when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in other tongues, we don't need to quit using our brain. We don't just have to turn that part of us off. Supernatural doesn't take the place of many natural things. We go do supernatural exploits. But when I'm sitting on my chair, I don't go, God, move me down the road. I'm, I get up, I move. Like there's, there's natural. Sometimes people want God to do the natural thing for them. And God says, no, I'm here, but there, there's certain ways that you can function. And we don't, you don't need to go there. Sometimes people that want supernatural, they just are actually lazy and they just want God to do it all for them. And so many people, though, many Christians, want to have Christ without being different, markedly different from the world. Luke 16, 26, talking about Abraham and the beggar named Lazarus and, the, you know, the rich man in Hades. And there's this scripture that says in Luke 16, 26, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. Another translation says a great chasm. One other translation says between us and you, there is a great divide, divide, another D word, a great divide, a separation. Now, I want unity, not division, but sometimes there is a great divide, a great difference between how people operate. There's a great divide between those who trust in riches and those who really, really trust in God. There's a great divide between some of the cultural ideas trying to indoctrinate your mind and what the Bible actually teaches. There's a great divide. The Bible does not teach some of the new anti-biblical philosophies being promulgated by those who really want to divide our country in half. There are th certain things that you can't divide from without, but you can divide them from within. And the enemy wants to come in this country and divide us from within. And I'm saying that there are those who are promoting practically a civil war in our country. And Jesus is just saying, be civil. Be civil to one another. And so these, there's racial lies, there's sexual identity lies, there's economic lies, there's all kind of lies being promulgated. And God says, wait, what does my word say? And there's some things that you can stand in unity on, even if you don't agree on every little nuance. And so don't let yourself be divided against the wrong thing. Now, there should be a unity in the body of Christ. The divide should be those who don't fall for those lies versus those who are believing the untruths. And to keep going on with God, the difference from the world that marks you must become greater and greater or else it will become less and less. Less and less. The Bible talks about sheep and goats. There's a difference. The Bible talks about wheat and tares. There's a difference. The Bible talks about the Orpahs and the Ruths, the Abrahams and the Lots. You can have the same call 
God can save five people in a row. I prophesy to you, you're going to do this. 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 Is it going to happen? I don't know. It depends on their response. You can all have the same call, but a different response, and your response will make a difference. There's a great divide. There's a destiny, another D word, on your life. There is nothing higher to aspire to than doing the will of the Father. I mean daily, and I mean long-term. Nothing higher to aspire to. But to do that, Hebrews 4.12 has to be able to be operative in your life. The Word of God, the Bible says in Hebrews, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing, dividing, asunder of the soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow. And it is a great discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. People do a lot of things. Some of those things look good. But you know that God cares about the motive? Motives matter. Ministry matters. Motives matters. Money matters. I can do alliteration all day. See, there are things that matter. And it doesn't matter just how it looks to other people and what you're doing. It matters why you're doing it. And there is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart and the, the spirit of God and the sword of the spirit is able to cut through that. And sometimes we don't know our own heart, the Bible says, but he knows all things. And so sometimes we have to go, God, is there anything in me that is displeasing to you? Is there any way, any wicked way in me that I don't even see or feel? And I don't even know what to do with it if there is, but you can take it out. You can fix me, God, where I'm broken. So it matters. There's a great divide between those who tithe and those who give God a little tip like Ed Trout said when he was here. Now, the devil, a D word, wants to do as much damage, a D word, as possible. He's after our country as a whole. He's after the church across the board. Pastors are leaving at the fastest rate in the history of our country, leaving the pastorate. They're getting burnt out and they're leaving. We're not leaving. We don't retire, we refire. If we've been here this long, we're not going anywhere. You can count on us. We've lived on the same street for 50 years, had the same phone number. We were either really stable or really boring, but you can always get a hold of us. <laughs> the devil is after our vision. He's after our passion. God told me that young people would come in. God told me prophetically through Dale Gentry, young people would come in not ever having read a scripture in the Bible, but they would be on fire for God and have a revelation of him. And some of you are it. But the devil is after our passion. He's after our identity. He's after our pursuit of God. He's after our desire to evangelize. There is a spirit of lying and deception that is ruling our country. You can't trust hardly anybody. I talked to somebody and I, now I got to trust. Somebody stole all of our money. Somebody in church stole all of our money. Somebody that was on our worship team stole all of our life savings. We figured it out after we had been investing with him for about seven or eight years. And in 2014, when Easy was 81, all of our money's gone. It's really hard to start over when you're 81. And God said, don't let it change you. Don't let it change you. So we still have to trust that God sends us people to train, and we have to love them, embrace them like their family. And we do. We didn't let it change us. We did what God said. But see, when it comes to other people, my sister was talking to me about an insurance situation. Like, this one has their hand in that back pocket, and this one gives a payoff to this one, and this one does this. And so is your recommendation really right, or is it because somebody's making money off of it? And so there's a lot of greed and lying and deception going on all around us. It gripped our nation. And I hate the way, though, most of, more than that, more than that, the way the devil uses deception to damage the lives of individual people in their hearts. You can steal my money, but I can still keep my heart okay. But once he damages our heart, 
It's like we're an open wound and the enemy takes advantage of that and he keeps inserting painful things into that wound, into that wound, into that wound so that we can hardly act like we normally would act. We can hardly respond like we're supposed to. We just react all the time. We just react. And so I teach a lot on restoring damaged emotions. If you have not heard the series, it's y'all were in the room in what, 1998 when we did eight parts? If you're a leader here, you need to have heard that series, else God can prophesy to you and say, you're gonna do this, you're gonna do that, but your decisions will get screwed up somewhere because of your pain and because of your reactive nature. And God says, no, I wanna get all those wounds out of you so you can be the one I really created to be. So you can be like I intended you to be before the damage was done. See, that's what God is after. And so none of the things, though, the devil tries to do should ever frighten you. Because if you let God heal and restore and strengthen you, instead of the devil doing damage to you, you can do damage to the devil. You can do damage to him. You can take back what he stole from you. It's a little song, but actually you can really do it. Did he steal your, did he steal your sense of self-worth? Did he steal your kindness? Did he steal your ability to love? You can take it back. He can rework it back into your life. You can then cast him out of people. Now, I don't recommend you just go select individual people and go, I'm going to cast the devil out of you. But when, <laughs> but when you're in a situation and the devil manifests and that person really does want freedom, you have the authority to cast the devil out of them. And we have done that on many occasions. At our Generation Jesus meetings in the old days, we just call easy. People would fall out on the floor and start writhing. Yep. Fall out on the floor. High school girls, fall out on the floor and start writhing. What do you do? Back up? Be afraid? We'd call easy. We'd pick them up, get him back into private office. Somebody bit his hand. Somebody said, I'm going to kill you. Somebody's eyes rolled back in their head. He cast the devil out of them, and they came up okay. In the presence of the anointing, the devil manifests. You know how Jesus would come on the scene and devils would start screaming out? The more God comes in, don't, don't be surprised if devils show up. But the devil's no match for the Spirit of God, and we don't need to be afraid. And so we can cast him out of people. And so we can share, we can preach the good news of the gospel, and we can snatch people out of the kingdom of darkness. And some of you were in darkness not that long ago, but now you're over in light. And so if you got there, you can share with other people how to get the way. But you can't bring people where you've never been. And so that's where we got to go where God is. But to do damage to the devil's kingdom, you must go beyond protecting yourself. It can't just, what, what is it, Kirk? It's not about you, but it's not without you. And some people, it's just only about them. It's about what I want. Protect me, Lord. Bless my family. Do my miracle. Make me famous. Fix my ministry. You See, you got to go beyond protecting yourself, me, my four, and no more. And you must go beyond being on the defensive to being on the offensive. You can't win a football game with just defense. You got to have some offense. And so, we can't settle for maintaining. We have to keep on obtaining. And that's why God keeps pulling us in, pulling us in further. We were here. We were, ooh, we were here. We felt his presence. He goes, there's more. There's more? I thought I was at the pinnacle. No, there's more. But we can't be double-minded, another D. The Bible says the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, and he will end up receiving nothing from the Lord, James 1.8. The double-minded man has two opinions. He's on the fence. If I'm standing on a fence and I fall, it can be painful. But anyway, we can't go back and forth between what we believe. But some of us do because we're not really solid. And that's why it's important when we come in, we get rooted and grounded so that we're not just sinking sand and we're not just flitting and a little wind comes and it can blow us away like a feather. 
Easy came up here one time when he used to preach regularly, and he brought a can of biscuits. And he goes, were you here for the biscuit sermon? Yep. Cammy, were you here for the biscuit sermon? But now y'all are baked, right? And he got a can of biscuits, and he popped it. And that dough came out. He goes, some of you, you're like this dough. Doesn't take much to squash you. He goes, but you put it in the fire, and you bake it, and it comes out. It's got some substance to it. And some of you need substance. So this is what we're made of. We come from this many. Substance. And so I want to point out that the double-minded, though, are not just those who are wishy-washy in their faith or concerning what they believe. The double-minded can also be those who admire the acts of God, admire the works of God, want to be in on them. But they want it to come to pass in a way that is reasonable and respectable, in a way that won't mess up their preconceived plan for their life. <laughs> Easy and I said, we'd never be pastors. He messed with our preconceived plan. <laughs> messed royally with our preconceived plan. We said that since Easy had made millions of dollars in the world before he got saved, he would just make millions of dollars again, and we would support ministries, and we'd do ministry too. But God said, no, you're going to get out of business. You're going to sell everything you have. You're going to use the, what little equities in your house to start a church. And we're like, that wasn't our plan. But it was his plan. And the reward is every one of you in this room and everyone that's pastoring a church and leading worship and teaching and on a mission field right now, and the reward is much greater than $40 million dollars. And so we can't have two minds. We can't have our soul in control. We must yield to the spirit. And so therefore, that means we must be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Somebody one time said, you just teach people how to think. I go, I do that all day long. God prophesied to us once, y'all will set people in their right minds. You will be used to set people in their right minds. And so for a while, I was waiting for people, you know, who came in from psychiatric facilities or, you know, needed this or needed that. And then all of a sudden, I thought, wait, everyone's a little crazy. <laughs> and so, so everyone in some area is not thinking right. And we are continually setting people in their right minds according to what the Bible teaches. So we've covered some Ds. Let's talk about a few Ts. Since I just said the word transformed, I'll spring from there. And remember when we had the slogan, T to the third power? Some of you, transform lives, training leaders, team ministry. I can do this alliteration thing all day. You give me a letter and I can do it for you. But let me be clear, transformed lives. Look around. I know you'll find a lot of people, oh God, they need to be transformed. <laughs> yes. Maybe someone who lives in your own house. Maybe the person sitting next to you, don't look. Okay, maybe the person next to you on your row, if you're married, or your children. Okay, but... Let me be clear on who needs to be transformed. You do. <laughs> we all do. Not your friend who's messed up, not your agnostic relative, not the church member you're irritated by, even though they may, too, need to be transformed. But you need to be transformed. The word trans means across. Trans, across, okay? Form, to shape and mold. God wants to go across every pattern, every habit, every belief, every thought, every opinion, every ideology, every philosophy in your life. He wants to go across it. And if it's not in line with his word, he wants to shape it and mold it. And you go, okay, I'll, I'll let him. But then you go, okay, mold me, shape me, God, but please don't touch me. Okay, it doesn't work that way. It's not like a magic wand. See, Jesus wants to form us in... God wants to form us into the image of his son, Jesus. He wants us to look like Jesus to the world. Look like Jesus. 
So when you shape and form something, if you take Play-Doh or even, you know, what else do we, you know, like, like what, potter, uh, clay, yeah, not Play-Doh, clay, whatever, huh? Dough, dough for bread, yes. Somebody said something about cooking. I Janine, why would you say about cooking on Thanksgiving? We grew up in an Italian family. There were so many cooks. My mother always did the turkey and dressing. My grandmother did stuff. My sisters did the vegetable. I did salads and desserts. To this day, I do salads and desserts. But anyway, so I've never cooked a turkey. I'm 71 years old. I've never cooked a turkey or dressing. There, I confessed. Okay, so to shape and form, we need to put pressure on something. We need to put our hands on it, and we put a certain amount of pressure. Now, God is not a harsh taskmaster, and he's not out to harm us or hurt us. But even circumstances put pressure on us. And under pressure is when you find out what's really in you. Because under pressure, what's in you comes out. Somebody said, I got along with everybody until I started being around people. Well, there you go. <laughs> I have no trouble loving God. It's just people. So people want transformation to be magical, like waving an instant wand over your life. But transformation is actually a process. It's a process. And that would lend me to a whole lot more teaching. And so I'll take this up next time I'm up here. And we will talk about transformation maybe in my next message. But I think next week we have Kirk. Uh, I love our preaching team. I love hearing from all the different people how God gives them revelation. It's amazing. Sabata brings us to the heart of God. John has such revelation. Alan is such a pastor teacher. Cammie is funny. She's like, if you never heard of Joyce Meyer, you're too young to know who that is. She's our Joyce Meyer, but better, I think. And um, But she decided not to have a worldwide ministry and just marry a doctor. And so it worked out for all of us. So we get to keep her. But she's going to be on the mission field one day. We have callings in so many people in this room. We have destinies and so many people in this room, and God wants to equip you for your destiny. And that's what we're here for. See, we're not here to build a kingdom. We are here to equip you, well, the kingdom of God, but we are here to equip you for the work of the ministry and for the destiny God called you to. And it's very individual. See, you don't have to be like anybody else. God's not looking for clones and robots. I love that. I can be different. I don't have to be like you. You don't have to be like me, but we all have to be like him. And so let's end with 1 Corinthians 1.10. I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you shall all speak the same thing, even if you have different terms. I added that part. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Okay, speak what same things? We have these out there, Alicia. We got them out there. What do I speak? Let's pick some. I'm complete in Christ. We can all speak that. I am free from condemnation. I'm just picking stuff. I will do greater works than Christ Jesus. Um, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I have the mind of Christ. I am redeemed from the curse of the law. I am strong in the Lord. There's things we can all say and nobody's confused. And so those who understand, those who know their God shall do great exploits. And those who understand shall instruct many. And so God will use you to teach others as you get his word in you, as you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Father, stand up with me. I thank you for every person under the sound of my voice. I thank you that there is a calling and a destiny on each and every one. There's no little uh, unknowns in the kingdom of God. We are known by you. And we ask you to know us. And we say, into me you can see.
And you can go to those places that we might hide from everyone else. And God, we just want to be more like you. We want all your fire. We want all you have for us. We don't want to come short in any thing. At the end of our life, we don't want any undone things to be left behind. We want to enter heaven and you say, well done. You have done everything I called you to do. And so, Father, I thank you. We are being equipped now. We are being strengthened now. We are being transformed and shaped and molded, and we will let you touch every area of our heart, even the places that we tried to protect. And so, Father, we thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen and amen.